letter from an alleged killer. After more than a decade on the run, why former gangster Connor DeMonte is finally coming home to face justice. New developments in the transit dispute. I have asked both parties that their focus should be resolving their dispute. The appointment of a well-known mediator to get a deal done. And the increasingly deadly toll from toxic drugs. Our goal is to keep people alive so that we can connect them to care. We need to change direction. After another record year, calls for a new approach. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A surprising development in the battle to bring back a gangster to BC who's charged in a murder conspiracy. Connor DeMonte fled to Puerto Rico where he lived a secret life. But as Ramina Dea reports in a new statement to Global News, the accused killer explains why he's giving up his fight against extradition. From behind prison walls in Puerto Rico, accused killer Connor Vincent DeMonte tells Global News he's now standing down from further legal challenges and he's looking forward to returning to British Columbia for a fair trial. I left Canada 13 years ago not to avoid trial and run from this allegation, but to escape certain threats, putting the lives of my young children and family in extreme danger, writes DeMonte. Extradition to Canada now imminent after more than a decade on the run. The Canadian fugitive charged with first-degree murder in 2011 for the killing of rival gangster Red Scorpion Kevin LeClaire. DeMonte also charged with one count of conspiracy to murder the Bacon brothers. DeMonte, the leader of the UN gang, said RCMP. We still don't know how one of the most wanted men in the country slipped out of Canada under the watch of police in 2011. DeMonte reinventing himself in a foreign land under the alias Johnny Williams. Over the last decade, I have lived a quiet, productive life, working hand-in-hand -hand with politicians and community leaders. I am particularly proud of my work in law reform related to the protection of agriculture. DeMonte dedicating his days to volunteering for a honeybee charity and now teaching English in prison. DeMonte lived undetected for 11 years before he was ultimately arrested by Puerto Rican police in Isla Verde in February 2022 with a handgun in his possession, according to U.S. court documents. For two years, DeMonte fought extradition to Canada, his public defender in Puerto Rico arguing there was a lack of evidence. In addition, three former gang members turned Canadian Crown witnesses had serious credibility issues. The total sum Witness 2 is expected to have received is a jaw-dropping $400,000. That's 400,000 reasons to follow whatever cues were laid out for him by the police. A U.S. judge ultimately ruled, despite DeMonte's absolute rejection of the Canadian charges, he did not introduce any evidence to support his legal challenges. With the extradition clock now ticking, DeMonte writes, I would like to make an apology to all of the volunteers and supporters for the public fallout. He says his time in Puerto Rico has been life-altering. I deeply and humbly appreciate the patience of friends who were previously unaware of the allegations I face in Canada and who continue to withhold final judgment of my character as this matter unfolds. 
DeMonte is expected to be returned to Canada in the next 30 days, but a hard date for extradition has not been set according to his Canadian lawyers. The BC Prosecution Service says a trial date has also not been set. DeMonte remains in custody in Puerto Rico. Romina Dea, Global News. Homicide investigators have now taken over a fatal shooting in Burnaby last night. Police responded to reports of shots fired in the area of Kingsway and Denby Avenue just after 10.30 p.m. Tuesday. Police say they found one man suffering from a serious gunshot wound, and despite first responders' efforts to revive him, he died at the scene. IHIT says the shooting appears to have been targeted and there are no further risks to the public. Anyone with information or dashcam footage is asked to call police. Metro Vancouver's transit strike is on hold, at least for now, much to the relief of thousands of commuters. However, even though a special mediator has been appointed, the union is threatening a full-scale strike. Keith Baldry joins us with more on today's development. And Keith, QP4500 representing transit supervisors, mm -hmm. we need to make that clear, says that if the mediator's recommendations don't lead to a tentative deal, job action is going to escalate. Yeah, they've actually set a, a definite deadline. So they want a tentative agreement in place by no later than 12.01 a.m. February 3rd. That's a Saturday, so a week Saturday. Uh, it, the release from the unit came just minutes after the announcement that Vince Verdi was going to be appointed the special mediator. So already sort of a shot across the bow or already at the beginning of talks that will begin tomorrow with Vince Verdi, the so-called miracle worker. He's solved so many difficult labor disputes. One has to hope he can work his magic here. We caught up with Labour Minister Harry Baines and Mike Colleen from Coastal Bus Mountain, who expresses concern that already before the talks begin, the union is employing what he considers to be scare tactics. I'm confident that the, this, uh, the, the buses will continue to be operating during this process. And then um, uh, hopefully there is a, uh, a settlement during the time that the, Mr. Vince Reg is involved with them. And uh, then, um, you know, they, could, they would have a collective agreement that is uh, acceptable to both sides. And uh, we will have the service back to normal. What's not helpful is uh, the union using scare tactics in the middle of this process uh, with respect to the mediator. Uh, we will work closely with the mediator to get a deal done. And that's what the public uh, expects and wants us to do. The union today also announcing that not only will they employ 72 hours of strike action, they intend to picket SkyTrain stations if, and I stress the word if, they get permission from the Labor Relations Board, by no means a guarantee there. But the first time, a threat to shut down the entire transit system, including SkyTrain. In the meantime, before we get there, starting tomorrow, Vince Strady will be sit down with the two sides back and forth and see if he can hammer out a deal over the next up to six days. On February 2nd, he will issue his uh, non-binding recommendations for settlement to the minister who has the option to make them public, which could put pressure on one or both parties here in the dispute once that information becomes publicly available. And then the stage is set potentially for an all-out strike, including SkyTrain, if the LRB agrees, starting at 12.01 a.m. on February 3rd. The clock is ticking. Okay, thanks exactly. very much, Keith. 2023 was the deadliest year yet in BC's toxic drug crisis. On average, nearly seven people lost their lives to an overdose every day. And as Richard Zussman reports, in her final press conference before retirement, BC's chief coroner, Lisa Lapointe, challenged the government to be more brave and to take radical action to save lives. 
It's a devastating record. More people died in B.C. due to illicit drugs in 2023 than ever before. B.C.'s chief coroner says the province is missing one key thing. It takes courage because this is a new area uh, that we're moving into. For so many decades, the official response was punishment. At least 2,511 deaths due to toxic drugs in 2023, up 5% from a year ago, working out to an alarming 6.9 deaths per day, bringing the devastating total in BC to 13,794 deaths since the public health emergency was declared back in April 2016, and nearly 40,000 across Canada. I don't think this is an individual issue anymore. When you have 40,000 people dying from something, this is a systems problem. The B.C. government has made two major changes since being in power, investing, record-breaking money in treatment, and decriminalizing the use of hard drugs. But the coroner still calling for more, better tracking of treatment wait times, even more investment in ready-to-access treatment facilities, and the biggest ask, a regulated supply of non-prescription hard drugs, something the province refuses to consider. Our goal is to ensure that people... Um, are not treated like criminals. BC United is going even farther. They want to see involuntary care for those at highest risk. We told the government this would not end well. That certainly was the experience in Portland, Oregon, where they're now backtracking on their own decriminalization experiment. There was no data, at least at the corner of scene, supporting the idea decrim is to blame. And in her final public event, leaving people with this thought. We can take measures to save lives or we can continue to count the dead. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Day three of the inquest into a deadly fire at a downtown Vancouver SRO hotel has heard more testimony about dangerous conditions inside the building before the fire, including chained up fire exits and the discovery of empty fire extinguishers as the flames and panic spread. Angela Jung reports. When flames tore through the Winters Hotel, a downstairs business owner went into the burning building. Nada Pessioni testified her husband was asked by a frantic resident to bring a fire extinguisher because all the ones they had were empty. If those sprinklers were on and those fire extinguishers were full, None of this would happen. Because of a minor fire three days prior, the sprinkler system had been shut off to prevent flooding. Because nothing was there to save people, so it just went out of control that quickly. And it wasn't easy to get out. She testified she often saw these fire escapes chained up and blocked. The coroner's inquest also heard from a resident who testified she didn't hear any fire alarms, but she did hear glass smashing. So she thought there was a fight outside and didn't know her life was in danger. Diana Dawkins told jurors she was only alerted because she couldn't breathe from the heavy smoke. There was a little hole in the wall and I seen smoke just, just starting to kick, blow right into the room. 11 days after the fire, the bodies of 53-year-old Dennis Gay and 63-year-old Marianne Garlow were discovered during demolition. I could have been the third. If I wouldn't have woke up, I would have been dead. Pessioni testified she saw Garlow the morning of the fire. And when she never saw the 63-year-old come out, she was concerned and told Fire Chief Karen Fry. 
we said, there are people still trapped up there. Her response was, thank you for your concern, and we have everything under control. Passioni told the inquest, since Atira took over the Winters Hotel, she met with stakeholders for eight months, expressing her concerns about the safety of the SRO, but it all fell on deaf ears. She's hoping this inquest will finally bring changes. Angela Jung, Global News. The growing city of Colwood on Vancouver Island is in desperate need of family doctors. The city of roughly 22,000 residents has no primary health care providers. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the city is exploring some innovative approaches to solve the doctor shortage. So this area is closed right now, but this is the entrance to our clinic. The front desk, waiting area and exam rooms are ready to go. We actually have six rooms around. All this medical clinic needs now are some doctors. We were planning for a grand opening of the clinic on the 1st of December, but so far we are not able to achieve this goal. Uh, the holdup is we are waiting for doctors. The city of Colwood currently has zero family physicians. None, none. It's, it's shocking. But with the population projected to explode in the coming years, a potential solution is now in the works. Our goal is to make Colwood so attractive that graduating family doctors decide to, uh, they stampede towards this, this type of work. I am so dedicated and devoted to making sure this happens. The idea, inspired by models in Western Europe, would see the municipality participate directly or in partnership with the operations of the clinic, taking over the administrative tasks that come with running a family practice, allowing the doctors to focus solely on their patients. We have a huge problem that isn't going to go away anytime soon. It, it really is sad because we need doctors, everybody, everybody does. The medical clinic here in Royal Bay would just be the pilot. Based on the population, the city projects it will need 18 full-time doctors to meet the demand. But with developments surging in the area, so too will that number, nearly doubling by the time the work here is complete. We're going to end up with probably 5,000, 6,000 homes to the city of Colwood and, and Greater Victoria over a period of, of the next uh, 15 years or so. The proposed model is something those involved are confident will not only address the need, but set a precedent. Ultimately changing the landscape of primary care in this province. We could spread this all over British Columbia. That's, I think, the holy grail there. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, cannabis stores are a common sight in Vancouver these days, but in Surrey, they're still not allowed. That could be changing, though. As Janet Brown reports, the city is asking residents to weigh in on a proposal which would allow for up to a dozen. This is Scott Road, the dividing line between Delta and Surrey. In Delta, you can go to the newsstand, get fit or purchase cannabis. Across the road in Surrey, you can do all that, but buy cannabis. People are getting in their cars, they're driving to White Rock, Langley or Delta to get their product when they could, should be able to walk and have easy access to the cannabis itself. Elford says Surrey has studied other jurisdictions and he says there are no issues with retail cannabis stores. You've got to get away from the stigma of, uh, of uh, cannabis now. Uh, it's not uh, the devil's lettuce. 
as it used to be. It has very much uh, a lot of medicinal values that people uh, claim. The city is looking at up to 12 cannabis shops with a maximum of two in each of Surrey's six town centres. This is uh, too many. I think Surrey should open the shops. Not sure about the number so much. Well, is there really a reason? I, I don't see any reason. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke wasn't available for an interview but offered this statement. While I personally do not support the introduction of cannabis retail operations in the city of Surrey, this survey will provide valuable insight into the views of Surrey residents. As mayor, I have and will remain committed to transparency and public engagement. New businesses in our town centres are a good thing. Um, it also decreases the amount of illegal action in our, on our streets. The Surrey Board of Trade also taking a position saying the board welcomes the city of Surrey's step towards establishing a thoughtful and regulated approach to cannabis retail. The legal cannabis industry creates thousands of direct jobs. We hope the implementation happens this spring. The survey closes in early February and council could make a decision within the next few months. Janet Brown. Global News. BC's billion-dollar power play, a plan to build out electrical capacity to meet exploding demand over the next decade. The focus is on renewables, but some say that's going to be impossible to accomplish without natural gas. A reality check that'll give you a jolt coming up next on the News Hour. Loblaw's 50% discount and why BC shoppers don't get the same deal as other provinces just ahead in Consumer Matters. Plus. And the Emmy goes to the team from The Last of Us. The BC visual effects artists celebrating their big win coming up later. First, though, the reliability of energy in B.C. is being put to the test as the province works to keep up with demand. And as Aaron MacArthur shows us, there are concerns over the province's push for an all-renewable electric-powered future. Turn a knob and the flame roars to life. Flick the switch and the lights go on. It's about all anyone thinks of with energy. But in the not-too-distant future, that reliability may be put to the test. British Columbia has been importing really quite massive amounts of electricity last year. On the coldest day of the year, January 12th, BC's peak demand for electricity was 11,300 megawatts. But on the same day, the peak demand for natural gas was nearly twice that much, 21,000 megawatts. Energy analysts are questioning how we meet our future power needs. If we didn't have natural gas available for heating during this most recent cold snap, there literally is no way our electricity system could have met our demand. The B.C. government, though, has made it clear the long-term future will be electric. The premier announcing a plan to spend billions on infrastructure upgrades. Site C will add enough power for an estimated 450,000 homes. And a call for independent renewable power producers is aiming to double that. But other sources of power, like nuclear, are off the table. Hydro's own projections show within the next six years, B.C. will see an increase in demand of 15%. Fortis, B.C. says natural gas has a vital role to play in meeting our energy needs. All of those uh, scenarios that we look at, we see a role for gaseous energy. We understand that that means less fossil fuel and more low carbon and renewable fuels. In December, the BC Utilities Commission declined to approve Fortis's application to expand its facilities and pipelines. One of the key reasons given was the BC government's own clean energy policy. The minister refused our request for an interview 
The Pembina Institute says the province needs to decarbonize as quickly as possible. System operators uh, like BC Hydro, you know, it, it is literally their jobs to make sure that these do match uh, going into the future. Gas providers argue the system needs to use more tools, not fewer. We're really looking at this from the perspective of how can we take the best of both systems and use them together to meet energy needs in British Columbia um, uh, in an optimal way. Natural gas remains a huge part of BC's grid, accounting for 17% of all energy consumed. As governments constrain the supply, critics are worried long term whether there is enough juice without it. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, you'll likely recall the public backlash when Canada's largest food retailer, Loblaws, planned to reduce its 50% discount on some, on some soon-to-expire items to just 30%. While the company has since reversed that decision, not everyone is happy. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua to explain. Ann. Thanks, Sophie. It turns out some Loblaw-owned stores in B.C., like Real Canadian Superstore, have not been offering the 50% discounts on food that's about to expire for quite some time. Some consumers say that's unfair, so we decided to take a closer look. Loblaw's recent decision to revert back to his previous discount practice is frustrating British Columbians like Heather Hunter. I'm almost in a boycott position at the moment. She says years ago, the real Canadian superstore where she shopped in North Vancouver used to offer 50% price reductions on expiring food items, but then eventually lowered those discounts to 30%, which still remains today. And I couldn't understand why. She thought it was a similar situation across the country until news broke last week when Canada's largest grocery retailer decided to offer 30% discounts across the board on last day items. After the public backlash, Loblaw reinstated its 50% discount, but that wasn't the case at real Canadian superstores in B.C. I don't understand why they don't keep the same policy across the board, all stores, all of the superstores. Why it should stay at 50% back east and we get stuck with 30%. Heather isn't alone. Outside BC, many others are asking the same question around Loblaw's discount pricing. It's not just in BC, it's across the country. People wondering, well, we lost the 50% like 10 years ago. Are, is it coming back? When Consumer Matters asked Loblaws why BC isn't receiving a 50% discount for soon-to-expire products, Loblaws stated, Our market stores in BC, including City Market and Independence, have a 30 to 50% off range and will be returning to that. Stores like Real Canadian Superstore and No Frills have provided 30% for the past several years and will continue to do so. If you encourage consumers to just wait a while to get that 50%, you're not going to sell as many full-price products. That was the problem that Loblaws was facing, which is why they were actually ending the 50% discount in the first place. Still, Heather says she's angered by Loblaws' pricing decisions and says she'll be shopping here a lot less. Uh, how about giving us a break? We also reached out to Save on Foods and Sobeys asking if they offer its customers discounts for soon-to-expire food or if they had plans to offer discounts on food nearing expiration in the future. But we did not hear back. And if you have a consumer issue, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thank you very much, Anne.
Just ahead, the sex assault scandal rocking Hockey Canada. A bombshell report indicating arrests might be imminent involving some players on the 2018 championship team. And locals rally for a critically ill woman denied care while in Iranian custody. Five members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Hockey Team have been told to surrender to police and are set to face charges relating to an alleged group sexual assault, according to a report from the Globe and Mail. As first reported this morning, the Globe and Mail is citing two sources with knowledge of the investigation who were not named because they're not authorized to speak on the case. According to the report, the players have yet to be charged and have been given a set period of time to present themselves to police. Global News has not independently confirmed the Globe and Mail's reporting. The report says the anticipated charges stem from an alleged group assault in London, Ontario back in 2018. The news of this allegation first broke in May of 2022 after reports that Hockey Canada had settled a civil lawsuit with the complainant. Globe and Mail, is, as I said, is citing two sources with knowledge of the investigation. A Port Coquitlam woman is rallying others to bring an Iranian woman to Canada for life-saving surgery. Right now she's in exile in Turkey after being incarcerated in Iran for protesting. Negar Moshtehedi has the story. From protesting an authoritarian regime on the streets of Tehran to lying in a Turkish hospital suffering liver failure, Elham Modadesi's life hangs in the balance. Please save uh, my sister's life. My sister's situation is bad, physical is uh, so bad. Modadesi participated in the freedom movement that rocked Iran in 2022. She was imprisoned that November for three months and denied medication for a genetic liver disease. She's in desperate need of a liver transplant. And we don't know why, what we're doing. Please help my sister. Please, uh, Canadian people, please save my sister life. Elham is a brave, courageous Iranian woman who stood up against oppression. In Port Coquitlam, Tara, who we have agreed to identify by her first name, is joining forces with Iranian Canadians to sponsor her to Canada. Yes. They want to bring her here for a life-saving surgery that would be almost impossible to attain in Turkey. We've located different liver donors that are willing to supply a part of their liver to her. When the office of the Ministry of Immigration heard about Elham's special case and the fact that it's very urgent, they said that they would flag it and look at her entire dossier in, a, in an expedited manner. The Ministry of Immigration won't comment, citing privacy issues. I mean, I feel so close to Elham because I see her as a, a freedom fighter inside Iran, and she was so brave to come out, and she now needs our help. Elham is a hero to me and many of us. While paperwork allowing her to come to Canada is in the system, Modaresi's own system is shutting down, and time is running short. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. Coming up, robots join the team at St. Paul's Hospital. So all of this is done uh, consistently and efficiently by, by Tarzan and Jane. What a name for artificial intelligence helping transform healthcare. Plus...
50 years of flavor. Why this New Year, why this year's Lunar New Year celebration in Vancouver's historic Chinatown might be the biggest ever. That's still to come. Well, more than 100,000 people are expected to crowd into Vancouver's Chinatown next month to celebrate the arrival of the Year of the Dragon. It's going to be a big one. As Kristen Robinson reports, the celebration will mark the 50th anniversary of the neighborhood's Lunar New Year parade with the start of what's supposed to be an extraordinary year. January 1974, the first Lunar New Year parade rolled through Vancouver's Chinatown. Hundreds watched as a giant dragon made its way across Maine at Pender. One, two, three. Fifty years later, the city is preparing to usher in Year of the Dragon with neon street banners. For the last two years, I got people keep asking me, where's the dragon sign? You said you there's a dragon sign. Where is it? Where is it? I want to look at it. Installed on two blocks of East Pender, Fred Kwok believes the five-clawed neon dragon banner is the first of its kind in Canada. Chinatown used to be filled with neon lights, so we really wanted to bring that back. No, I have another one. As William Liu gets ready for Lunar New Year, he feels a deep connection to the history his business sits on. Five decades ago, this building housed another restaurant. There were actually still some uh, pots and pans that belonged to the restaurant in our basement. Today, Kamwai Dim Sum continues the affordable comfort food tradition. It's amazing that I'm able to serve some of the same people uh, that frequented Guangzhou restaurant when it was here. It's really fulfilling for us to be here in Chinatown. Um, I would not have it any other way. Isn't that awesome? Vancouver's mayor attended the 1974 parade as a three-year-old and still remembers the firecrackers and lion dancers. They would go shop to shop to shop and they would get, go after the cabbage and the neighborhood was incredibly vibrant and it was packed. 2024 celebrations start February 10th. The community expecting 100,000 plus to attend the Sunday parade. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a downtown Vancouver hospital is on the cutting edge of lab technology using artificial intelligence to test more samples than it ever could before. Two robots known as Tarzan and Jane are taking some of the workload off lab staff who can focus on more complex cases. Grace Key reports. Currently, we are putting simple specimens such as urine cultures on the machine. It's technology that's taking patient care at St. Paul's Hospital to a whole new level. And it's going to shake the sample. It's called vortexing it. So now Tarzan is going to pick up the sample and it's going to um, uncap it. Robotic duo Tarzan and Jane work together to perform simple repetitive tasks normally done by humans, freeing up understaffed technicians to perform more complicated work. Jane's dipping it in and there's a small volume of the, of the sample that's going to be put onto the surface of the plate and she's delicately streaking the surface of the plate now. All of this is done consistently and efficiently by, by Tarzan and Jane. But it's the integration of artificial intelligence with digital imaging that makes this unique. The plates move to small incubators and photos are taken regularly. And we are teaching it how to recognize what is a negative, for example. That's the simplest thing. Uh, when there's no growth on a culture plate. And we're going to teach it uh, over time to recognize simple patterns 
But as we teach it, there's always a verification step. It won't ever take on the highly complicated specimen types that we talked about before, like a heart valve or a, a liver abscess. Those will probably end up always be uh, uh, processed by a human. The lab processes more than 145,000 samples a year from BC and the Yukon. Tarzan and Jane handle about 70% of the samples, including daily surges in demand and ultimately patient care. It probably will reduce time to reporting by uh, hours. And sometimes that's critically important. You know, patients in the intensive care unit who have invasive infections, you're, you're running against the clock. St. Paul's is the first hospital in Western Canada to have this type of AI technology. The foundation funded this $1 million WASP lab. A second one will be set up at the new hospital. Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, BC artists win some coveted hardware. It was a pretty surreal night for sure. The movie-making sleight of hand that earned them an Emmy for The Last of Us. And coming up in sports, tonight's big matchup with the Blues and how the Canucks could have a new look in more ways than one. Right, I know we need rain, Christy, but Chris and I have decided we're done. You're done? We've had yep. enough. We're over it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Time to move it. on. Okay. Yeah. I will order it up for you guys as best <laughs> as you. I can. <laughs> So yeah, my title here is Ugh, a wet week ahead. So highlights are that tomorrow will be wet, not as wet as what we saw today, but still 10 to 20 millimeters expected. And remember that Friday sun? It's not happening. Yes, it looks like the systems are converging that we won't get much of a break. And Sunday, Monday still look very wet with that potential atmospheric river. The only silver lining I had for you is that when we look back at the drought portal, it's taking a hiatus through the winter months. It'll pick it up in the spring. This is a map from uh, November 30th, but it just gives you a little reminder that we do need mild wet weather to get the moisture into the ground. I know we need snowfall to give us that moisture that will last into the summer, but it was the only silver lining that I had for you at this time, which is that moisture into the ground. All right, the risk of freezing or chance of rain uh, for Metro Vancouver stays high throughout the day tomorrow. Not freezing rain, don't get that mixed up. Tomorrow or on Friday morning, we are expecting a bit of a dip, but that was the break and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. That next system drives onshore quickly, bringing that chance of rainfall up once again by the afternoon hours at the very uh, latest into the evening hours will be very wet. All right, so here's a look at northern regions. We'll see a few breaks, but anywhere north of uh, Quinell does have a chance of flurries. It's basically Quinell South that is milder across the region and we'll see periods of rain all across the South Coast area. Uh, again, it will come in waves. It won't be consistent throughout the day, but we certainly will see that wet weather on and off. Friday, a little bit drier in the morning, but we're back to rainfall by the latter part of the day. A few showers on Saturday and Sunday, Monday certainly look mild and wet. We're hoping for that, uh, that well, we're not hoping, that atmospheric river is going to shift in and it does look like the freezing levels are going to climb. All right, this is a shot from just this afternoon. Gordon sharing this with us from Colwood, looking towards Victoria. A sliver of light or a sliver in the of sunshine is all you need to produce one of these beautiful rainbows. If a sliver is all we get, I'll take it. It's the, old, it's the only proof I've seen of sunshine in a long time. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Christy. Mm -hmm. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. What have you got, Squire? Well, Canucks are playing tonight against the Blues, and I guess you can't always win the lottery with the same numbers. You need to change things up, and that's what Rick Tockett is going to do. He might take apart the lotto line for tonight's game. You know, we could split them, um, which is fine. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we'll put Petey back in the middle. Well, the lotto line didn't score against Chicago the other night, and they were a combined minus six against Toronto on Saturday. 
That's not great. No. Nope. Also tonight. Emmy winning visual effects from a BC company. What they do that makes The Last of Us the first thing fans want to watch. Sophie needs her dishwasher fixed, and let's hope we see lots of saucer passes at the game tonight. I'm trying to use the That was pretty good. Thing. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> the uh, last team to beat the Vancouver Canucks in regulation time is actually at Rogers Arena tonight. That's the St. Louis Blues. They beat the Canucks 2-1 at the start of that recent seven-game road trip, and that was a bit of an odd game. In that one, the Canucks lost almost 70% of the face-offs, and... They had great chances to score. They just were misfiring all the time. But since that loss to St. Louis, Vancouver's gone 8-0-1. The only other loss on that road trip was against Columbus. That was in a shootout. Rick Tockett does feel the Canucks have been getting away with some wins tonight, despite not playing at the level he wants them to play at. There are times he thinks the Canucks can be a bit better. They've been turning the puck over a little bit more than he'd like. But he also is thinking of juggling the lines up because the lotto line hasn't been hitting the jackpot the way it was on that aforementioned road trip. Jay is at the rink with more. A very optional game day skate here at Rogers Arena as just half a dozen Vancouver Canucks players were on the ice. Canucks facing a St. Louis Blues hockey team tonight that rallied from a 3-1 deficit in Calgary last night to win with 50 seconds to go in the hockey game. But the Blues are likely to see a couple of different Canuck line combinations as Rick Tockett is leaning towards splitting up the lotto line Talking hasn't been a fan of their five-on-five five play of late. You know, we could split them, um, which is fine. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we'll put Petey back in the middle, which I like him in the middle too. Uh, but I, I have no problem every once in a while putting this line back together again. We'll see how it goes. Casey DeSmith making his 15th appearance in the Canucks goal as he will start for the Vancouver Canucks tonight. When you think of unsung heroes on this hockey team, naturally look at the third line, Nils Hoaglander. But you have to mention Casey DeSmith because he's been very good for the Canucks this season. I grew up in one of those other guys. They work. They, they spend time after practice with the coaches. They're in the video room. Like I can, he's in that group. You know, and, and all the guys that have put the work in have improved their play. So, uh, and he's one of them. And, you know, for a guy to not play 10 days at a time to play the way he's had, I mean, it, it says a lot about his character. So, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're, you know, that's a great trade we got for getting Casey here. I mean, we definitely want to play hard for Case. Um, or Demery, like those guys have, have really uh, carried the mail for us all year long. And, um, you know, Case competes really hard. He, he works hard at his craft. And um, we know we're going to get a solid performance from him. So it's just up to us to get the job done. So it's the St. Louis Blues tonight and then the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. And then it's the all-star break for the Vancouver Canucks. From Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. So the Canucks are going to go Chrome Dome tonight, which seems appropriate. They will try to outblue the Blues with their helmets, which they're only going to use a couple of times this season. Reminds you of what the Golden Knights and the Kings have done with their helmets. They look like they got buffed up with turtle wax. Very shiny. I don't mind these ones. They kind of actually remind me of the dude from the original Tron movie. He had that blue helmet. Uh, the helmets will eventually be auctioned off to benefit the Canucks for kids' fun. Well, I've got to show you this save tonight. Leafs Jets. How often do you see a 2-on-0 when a team is shorthanded? But Ilya Samsonov faced down a 2-on-0 by the Jets. 
and stopped it. One, two, three. I think it was three. Let's take a look. Pass, 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 shot. Oh, yep. And the Leafs ended up winning in overtime, one nothing. Spectacular. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is coming back to the NFL as head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. That had been rumored. He is leaving the University of Michigan after winning a national championship with the Wolverines. The Chargers are going to be his second stint in the NFL. He was the 49ers coach from 2011 to 2014, and he quickly turned around the 49ers. They were 6-10, then he took over. They were 13-3, and, and then he took them to the Super Bowl in the 2012 season. He lost to his brother John in that Super Bowl. It was a Harbaugh Super Bowl because uh, John coaches the Baltimore Ravens and still does and might win the Super Bowl this year. You never know. He might. So many siblings in football. Right. All right. Thanks, Squire. A big win for the small Vancouver studio that helped create the post-apocalyptic look of The Last of Us. That's next. Jordan Armstrong is here now from the newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, an update tonight on Sunday's big stink from the Parkland refinery. We've learned the smell was so strong that some operations at the Port of Vancouver were affected, with workers sent home early. Also, people living near the refinery are being told to expect an increased odor, flaring, and visible smoke over the next few days. And some are not okay with that, given what they feel is a lack of information about Sunday's incident. The full story tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Yeah, never mind that nasty smell. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, the second se season of the HBO series, The Last of Us, is set to begin filming in Vancouver in a matter of days. Season one was such a hit, partly because of the magic created by a local company. And as Cassidy Moscone shows us, that small team is celebrating a big Emmy win. If you've seen The Last of Us, you've probably been scared out of your skin and transported to another world. But man, you can't deny that fear. This Vancouver-based startup is responsible for taking you there. Distillery Visual Effects, one of many companies involved in the blockbuster show that has just had their work recognised at TV's Night of Nights. And the Emmy goes to the team from The Last of Us. We won this for um, special visual effects uh, in an episode or movie. We were competing with Andor, Star Wars show, Mandalorian, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. And I think we were just stunned. It was a dream come true to work on the show and actually just be a part of it. Founded just five years ago with five people, Distillery has survived through a pandemic and writer's strike, growing to a team of 70. Yeah, I mean, it's invisible effects, right? It's really about being unseen and convincing the viewer that something occurred that was never actually there. Uh, so it's that sleight of hand magic trick that we love uh, and why we do it. Filming for The Last of Us season two is expected to get underway here in Vancouver next month. It will no doubt open up a raft of new opportunities for BC companies many whose work dried up during the writers' strike. We came from large facilities that are across many sites across the world, and we love Vancouver, and we were putting roots down here. Just Hollywood North is really what it is. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. I love that show. They, they did and some... if Pedro Pascal is in Vancouver and watching right now... Hang around in the Yale Town area. <laughs> but do you like him better in that show or as the Mandalorian? I didn't see the Mandalorian. Yeah, I like him in the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that either. Have you Both seen The Last of Us though, Christy? 
a little bit of it. I'm not as much of a fan as you are, Sophie. Not because I didn't like it. It's because I don't have time. That's all. <laughs> I watched it when I had COVID. I binged it. Yeah. Uh, it's the Good best idea. time. Uh, okay, so things are going to stay wet. And uh, any hopes of a little ray of sunshine, apart from you, are gone. Yeah, I mean, we might see a sliver producing a rainbow like we saw in our weather window, but that would be about it. So periods of rain tomorrow and basically for the next several days. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I'm no, don't mean to laugh. Hey. West Coast living. Thanks very much, Christy. <laughs> yeah. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all.